This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your spirit this morning. Thank you for your love to us to teach us in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. They say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, took the five loaves, two fishes, looking up to heaven. He blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples, his disciples to the multitude. They did all eat, were filled. They took up of the fragments that remained 12 basketfuls, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Okay, now, we come now to the time here where the news that John the Baptist has been murdered and martyred there has just come to the Lord Jesus in verse 13, and no doubt this is horrifying news. This is the first martyr, the first bloodshed, John the Baptist, it shook the disciples, so the Lord decides he's gotta leave with the disciples. It's really an act of thoughtfulness on his part, it's an act of tenderness, it's an act of care for them, because he knew what they didn't know, and that was the viciousness of the world, and he as a hen now wants to gather his chickens under his wings, just like he said in Matthew 23, 37, Matthew 23, 37, where he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often? How often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? 
and you would not. So the wings are very important to the Lord. You're thinking about wings. As a matter of fact, the Lord loved to point to wings. He says to Israel, it was Jehovah Jesus speaking in Deuteronomy 32.11, Deuteronomy 32.11, where he says, as an eagle stirreth up her youngs, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, an eagle he's talking about, taketh them and beareth them on her wings. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. I've never seen that before, but it must be magnificent. I gotta look online. See the eagles, they take the wing, they take the young on their wings, carry them along. Now, whenever I hear somebody say, all my life I've been a Christian, I was born a Christian, I know that's not true. That's not true, why? Because it says in John 1.13, John 1.13, that those who come to Christ were born not of blood. So being in Christ is something that someone is never born into. Christ has to be come to. You have to come to him. Like Boaz, when Boaz looked at Ruth, he saw this. He saw this in Ruth 2.12. Ruth 2.12 when he says, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. He said that. Under whose wings thou art come, he told Ruth. You came to Christ. You came under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. That's a wonderful description of what it means to come to Christ. It means to come to trust under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. And what's the motivation? Why does a person do that? Why did Ruth do that? Because she saw in the Lord God of Israel a certain excellence, <laughs> All right, so it's so where was I? I was talking about the excellence of the Ruth saw when she came to trust under the wings of the Lord God of Israel, and that excellence is his loving kindness. This is what David said in Psalm 36, seven. Psalm 36, seven. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. The wings of God. Things are very disturbing now. You know, if you don't know that things are disturbing, just turn on the television and watch the news. Things are very disturbing, very disturbing about what's happening and fear. You watch the news, you're afraid. And so what we feel we need is a place to go. Where do we go? We turn on the news. Oh, we don't want to go there anymore. We Where do we go? We, got we need a place to go. We need a place to go where we'll be protected. As David said, in Psalm 17.8, Psalm 17.8, talking about the wings. Keep me as the apple of thy eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. You know, David didn't have the local news to watch. He, was, he didn't have that to make him afraid, no, he needed a protection. But he had Saul, and Saul was chasing him. And in Psalm 57.1, 57.1, it gives you the background. It says it's to this chief musician, and this man's name was Altakek, he's Miktam of David, whoever this, doesn't matter. But it says that David wrote this when he fled from Saul in the cave. What cave? Down there by Ein Gedi, was down there by the Dead Sea. And David has written, and if you ever looked at that place, you say, oh, terrible badlands there. He's running around from place, to, it's in mountains there. Nothing's growing and he's hiding in this cave and that cave. He's there, there, and he's in this cave, and he writes these words. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings 
will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Saul is trying to kill him. He's running from cave to cave. It's a terrible place down there. He looks out one day in the cave and he sees a bird. He sees a bird just spread out her wings and he sees the young just get under the wings and he said, that's what I've got in God. I have shadow of wings until these calamities be overpassed. The calamities be overpassed. Reminds me of the safe room in my house in Israel that Clint so wonderfully put in there, a sink and a shower. No toilet, you have to hold it. No, anyway, <laughs> anyway, and a steel door and a steel plate over the window. It's all designed to keep you alive now when the rockets are flying from Gaza. And I'm making a scripture plaque with a title and a verse to go over that door of that room. And the title of the verse that goes over that door, the title for the door is the wings of the Lord God of Israel from Ruth 2.12. And the verse underneath that reads Psalm 57.1. So in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. You know, in this last barrage of rockets from Gaza, my friend near over there who lives close to my house there in Israel, he wrote me, he said, last night was the worst I ever remember in our area of Rishon. I was at a wedding during the first wave of rockets. The second wave of rockets was around 3 a.m., a nonstop fire. We heard and felt all of the Iron Dome interceptions, more than 400. A woman was killed in the western part of Rishon, about 10 minutes drive from my home. I like to sleep with earplugs. I don't hear anything. That's fatal in Israel. That's fatal because you have to hear the air raid sirens every time a new wave of rockets come from Gaza and to Rishon. The sirens blast and, and, and you have seconds to rush down into the safe rooms and wait for the all-clear siren. Yesterday, the head of Hamas in Gaza said that Israel only destroyed 6% of the tunnels and that they can destroy Tel Aviv now. They have the capability to fire off 150 uh, rockets every minute. So what do you think, what do you imagine it's like during that time in the safe room when the rockets are firing? Do you think that it's a time of fear or it's a time of joy? I mean, that safe room is a picture now of the wings of God. And what do you imagine it's like to be under the wings of God during this calamities that David said in Psalm 63.7, Psalm 63.7, he said, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Since it's a time of rejoicing. As soon as you hear the all clear sounds, you think anyone says in those safe rooms, you think anyone says, you know, especially ours with no toilet. But anyway, you think anyone says, no, I think I'll just stay here. I'll just stay here. I want to live here. Clint made it real nice. It's my new home. But you wouldn't do that in the safe room. But in the shadow, under the wings of God, it's different. Because once a person has run under the wings of God, he, he wants to stay there. He wants to live there. That's Psalm 91.1. Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide, dwell, abide, under, under the shadow of the Almighty. See, the wings of God is not only a place to run to for safety from trouble, the wings of God is not just a place to be there when the calamities and then leave when the calamities are past, not just a place to get out of when you hear the all-clear siren, it's nice under the wings of God because it's a place where God meets man. You know, in the holies, there were those statues 
of the cherubim with the two angels with their two large wings, which are really symbolic of the wings of God, and they were stretched over the, the ark, the mercy seat there. And then God said about that place in Exodus 25, 22, Exodus 25, 22, he says, there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So God said, that's the place where I'm gonna meet you. That's the place where I'm gonna commune with you under those wings. When Ezekiel saw the wings, he saw the wings of those cherubim. He saw an amazing sight. No one ever else reported this, but Ezekiel did in Ezekiel 10.8. Ezekiel 10.8, when he said, there appeared in the cherubim, he said, there appeared in the cherubim the form of a man's hand under their wings. No one ever reported that before, but Ezekiel said when he looked up on those wings of the cherubim, he saw the form of a man's hand. He saw a hand under the wings of the cherubim, a hand that protects, a hand that holds, the same hand that the Lord Jesus was talking about in John 10, 28. John 10, 28, when he says, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And then he said, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. The hand, that's the hand that Ezekiel saw under the wings of the cherubim. It's a holding hand of Christ that no one is able to pluck out of. It's the holding hand of God the Father that no one is able to pluck out of. So the Lord Jesus now with his disciples, he has uh, retreated into this place he was trying to go to. It's a desert place. But word is spread. In verse 14, it says, Jesus went forth, he saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, he healed their sick. So here the Lord is wanting to pull his disciples away so he can protect them from the fear and the terror. You know, John the Baptist's blood is still fresh on the ground. He wants to protect them, and he sees a great multitude following him. And that's a scene. That's a scene right there where he sees this, where here's the Lord Jesus and there's a great multitude that are following him. And that's a scene that Jacob saw on his deathbed, on his deathbed. Jacob is dying. He's only got minutes to breathe because the end of chapter 49 of Genesis says he gave up the ghost. He stopped breathing. And at that point, with only minutes left to breathe, Jacob's eyes are opened, and he sees a sight he's never seen before. He's really a picture of, of, of Isaiah 35.5, Isaiah 35.5, then the eyes shall be, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And at that moment, it was like Jacob could say, like the blind man, Jacob could say like the blind man in John 925, John 925, one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. And what Jacob saw 1,700 years earlier than this scene in verse 14, he saw, 14, he saw, verse 14, he saw the great multitudes following Jesus, who at that moment was Shiloh of Judah. 
Jesus was Shiloh of Judah, and Jacob saw that just minutes, with just minutes to breathe on earth. And Jacob saw this in Genesis 49.8, and Genesis 49.8, and Jacob said, Judah, thou art he. He's only got minutes left to breathe, and he sees something so astounding, and he's trying to explain it. And he says in verse 10, Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. You know, it's like those scenes in the movie, you know, where you have a man who's dying and the people are huddled over the dying person trying to get that last information from the dying person before he dies. It's, yes, tell us who, what, when. And so Jacob is seeing this scene in verse 14 and Jacob in, in Genesis 49, 10 saying, okay, 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 I'll tell you what I'm seeing. Just listen carefully. And Jacob says, I see a scene of Shiloh Jesus and a great multitude gathering around him. And this is what Jacob means in Genesis 49.10. He says, Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So Jacob's eyes are open. He sees Shiloh Jesus. Jacob sees Shiloh Jesus. And today, 33 Bible school students in, in a 12-week summer blitz are pounding the pavement in six Jewish communities, putting in collectively 15,840 man hours, and they're asking one question. They're asking one question. In Genesis 49.10, Jacob, Shiloh, Jesus. So why can't the descendants of Jacob see Shiloh, Jesus also? And those 33 students are lifting up their hearts in prayer to God, and that answer, why can't they see, God answers that question in Romans 11.8. In Romans 11.8, where it says, in Romans 11.8, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. But that doesn't stop the students. Why? Because those 33 students are warriors of faith. They press on to pound more and more concrete going from door of rejection to door of rejection because by faith they know and believe a verse less than 20 verses later in Romans 11.25, Romans 11.25, where it says blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer who shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So today, Israel suffers from a blindness where they cannot see Shiloh Jesus, they cannot see who Jacob saw, Shiloh Jesus, but it's only a blindness in part and so comes Ezra, not from the book of Ezra, but Ezra today. And he's saved by the gospel message, and Ezra sees who Jacob saw. Ezra sees Shiloh Jesus. Now, the Lord's multitudes are following him. They're around him. And he sees the multitude, the Lord does, and he's moved with compassion. It moves him. Why? Because of Isaiah 63.9, Isaiah 63.9 says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. So the Lord in verse 13 now, he hears of John the Baptist, the murder of John the Baptist. He's moving to the desert to get his disciples alone, to give them 
as their shepherd, a refuge, a shadow of wings, a hiding place to protect them from the fear and the terror that's gripped them. And as he's going there with the disciples, he sees in verse 14 this great multitude. He's moved with compassion. And when he sees them, this multitude, because remember now, he's on a mission to protect his disciples, get away with them. He doesn't say to the multitude, not you again. I already had compassion on the crowd. I already healed your sick. He does not say, not again, with the crowd and the sick. He has compassion again. Again, this is the whole point. It's again. Because the Lamentations 3.22 says, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. The gas tank meter on the Lord's compassion never runs out. The compassions fail not. Like the hymn says, his love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto man, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And so here he is, giving and giving and giving again, and he doesn't stop giving, but he does stop in his tracks with this multitude, and he heals their sick. He's going on a mission. He's with his disciples, be alone, and he's been interrupted. The multitude, the sight of the multitude, it interrupts his plan. The sight of them has disturbed his goal of getting to the desert alone with his disciples, and as he heals their sick, he's not resenting the interruption. He actually is welcoming the interruption. It's an amazing thing. Well, that's not us. We don't do that. We get interrupted. We get perturbed, angry, and we're not happy, right? But not him. He's welcoming the interruption. He's basically saying, interrupt me. Please interrupt me. I'm there for you. I always have time for you. Bring me your sick. Bring me your broken hearts. I have all the time for you. That's the spirit of God. That's the spirit. That's the attitude of the Lord. And to be sure, this was an interruption to the Lord. We don't like to be interrupted. It's different for Christ. Different. Why? Because of Romans 15.3. Romans 15.3 says, even Christ pleased not himself. We interrupt the Lord we come to the Lord day and night with our problems. We wonder, does Jesus have time? Does he mind being interrupted? Verse 14 is our answer. The answer is time for you. I always have time for you. I'm there for you all the time. All I ask you to do, one thing, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, just come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just take my yoke upon you, learn of me, I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest to your souls. So from verse 14, we see the Lord say, come to me in essence. Now, come now, come anytime. Just come to me. I'm there for you all the time, anytime. Just come. And they did come. They came as a big multitude. And you would have thought, you would have maybe thought that the people might have thought something like, wow, John the Baptist has just been murdered. A prominent follower of Christ who said, John the Baptist said in John 3.30, John 3.30, he must increase and he's been beheaded. Not a pretty murder, he's been beheaded. And you would have thought the people might have said to themselves, boy, with the beheading of John the Baptist, it's dangerous to be seen in public following Jesus. Maybe we shouldn't go, but that's not what happened. 
That's not what happened. With the persecution, the beginning of the persecution, the death of John the Baptist, the multitudes just grew. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.